Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Welcome back. This is Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. This is the last episode of Atomic Habits. Our hero, James, has been walking with us. He's taught us, hey, bitch, you need to become the type of person that's just going to do the habits. Then you got to do the fucking habits, which reinforces the type of person you are. And then finally, you'll just like hit your goals because you're doing the damn habits. He talked about the model of how habits work. And so you've got the cue. You know, something happens. Oh, I'm anxious. That's the cue. You've got the craving. I would love to not be anxious. God damn it. Oh, wait. Cigarettes. That one time. Maybe not anxious. Let me have a cigarette. You've got the action, having the cigarette, which is also called the response. And then you've got the reward, which is, ah, I feel less anxious. Great. And so he's also built a framework that overlays on how habits are structured and how to how to change your habits. So the first law is make it obvious. If you're trying to get a good habit going, gotta gotta make it as obvious as fucking possible. You know, I have check boxes on my whiteboard to make sure I do my goddamn metrics. Second law, make it attractive. Okay. And so, you know, checking off a box is pretty cool. And so it's like, God, yeah, fuck yeah. And you know, then and there's other ways to make it even more attractive. We talked about a bunch of them. But now we're moving into the third law, which goes um, to the response portion of a habit. And so, you know, the first was cue, second was craving. Now, how we handle the response. So this is actually doing the shit. He says, to do good shit, you got to make it easy. Okay. Walk slowly, but never backwards. So there's some photography professor at the University of Florida who split his film class in half. The first half, he said, hey, you're the volume group, okay? You're going to get graded on how many uh, photographs you take, and, you know, like, your top 10 will be judged, and I just need you to have 10 of them of your 100 that are A's, okay? The other group was the quality group. They didn't have to do 100 photos. All they needed was at the end of the year, they would take one photo. And that would be what was graded on. You'd think that you're spending an entire semester to take one photo. That photo is going to be better, right? But actually, no. The volume group, they were, you know, they were like learning on the fly. Like they were getting all these fucking reps in. They were taking photos. You know, if they had to submit 100 photos, they probably took, I don't know, 10,000 photos. If you have to submit one photo, you maybe take 100. I don't know. Because it's easy to get bogged down trying to find the optimal plan for change, the fastest way to lose weight, the best program to build muscle, the perfect idea. We're so focused We're so focused on figuring out what the best approach is that we never get around to taking action. And so the third law of, of mostly of forming good habits, if you invert them, it's how you, you know, remove bad habits, but it's make it easy. And because we get so... You know, those, photogra- those, those photography students, the ones who were trying to do it perfect, they ended up doing it shittier because they were trying to do it perfect. 
Um, Alex Hormozzi, still obsessed with his shit, uh, has a thought experiment that success is just, it's the taking of actions and the volume. And maybe there's some people that are more gifted than others. Um, you know, the thought experiment is you have a dice or a die. You know, maybe some people have a 10-sided die. Some people have a 200-sided die. Some people have a, you know, 2,000-sided die. But the key to success is doing the action. Every time you roll the die, one of the sides disappears. And when you're left with one side, then you win. And now you're successful. And so, you know, every time you roll the die, you know, you, let's, say you, let's say you're unlucky. You have bad genetics. And you're, you're the one that... You know, you're the one that has a 400-sided die. So, man, that's a lot of, like, you know, I'm never going to be successful. Roll the die. Okay, hey, 399. Roll the die. Oh, fuck, 398. You just keep rolling. You just keep rolling. And eventually, it becomes deductively impossible not to be successful. And James talks about how in the uh, make it easy portion, like, ultimately, fucking taking the action is the most important. And he, he makes a, di a distinction between motion and action. Um, the two sound similar, but they're not the same. When you're in motion, you're planning and strategizing and learning. Those are all good things, but they don't produce a result. Action, on the other hand, is the type of behavior that will deliver an outcome. And so I am in a weird spot where I have a book review podcast, and there's this, um, there's this culture in the business world of being like, don't fucking read any books man just do the fucking work and that's right but i also know that me burning all these damn books into my brain and like being obsessed with reading and learning and shit like i am the only reason i'm successful at my job right now is because of the book let's get real or not play and so i think the key is you have to learn the book like you can't just read it and just like it's mental masturbation just motion but if you learn it that's gives you a that gives you a, a little bit of an edge and then ultimately you got to learn it and you got to do the action and so like yeah you want to learn you want to you spend a bunch of time you want to have a good plan but really if you don't know or if you're not sure action just doing the fucking thing is what will be a roll of the dice okay now you're at 198 197 196 195 just fucking roll the dice to build a habit you need to practice it and the most effective way to make practice happen is to adhere to the third law of behavior change. Make it easy. Now, let's learn how to do that. And so that's fucking good. Good job, bro. But the, the point is, if truly the solution is, if 95% of the solution is just doing the action and then iterating and figuring it out and doing it again and again and again and trying your best and trying your best, like, if that's really the case, he's not saying, you know, like, do this massive action it's just doing the action so if that's really the case we need to think about how do we engineer our environment to actually make it easy how do we do the action because if the action is the most important then how do i strip everything else away so that it's it's impossible that i don't do the action uh he loves to start all chapters with some cool little intro but i'll summarize so there's a book guns germs and steel I tried to read it. I was too stupid back in the day. I could probably read it now. Who fucking cares? But the guy who wrote Guns, Germs, and Steel made a interesting but obvious discovery, and that's continents were shaped differently. <laughs> no shit, dumbass. Like, you, you want a Nobel Prize for that? But if you dig a little bit deeper, the reason that matters is because the continents 
that were shaped a certain way or like by the equator or like I clearly didn't I'm so good at this guns germs and seal I don't even know didn't even pay attention to what James is saying but the point is there were certain continents where they were able to grow more food more easily and that um, caused agriculture to spread more they got better population they got a head start in you know in a lot of these success metrics because they just had rapid population growth whereas if there's some areas that are mountains and they grow totally different crops and there's some areas that are lowlands and then there's some wetlands and and whatever and and so like the fact that there were certain places where the crops just grew really well they just grew really easily that the action of doing the crops was easier it was made easier and thus they were able to become further ahead than the other people who had to use more willpower again good analogy respect the spread of agriculture provides an example of the third law of behavior change on a global scale conventional wisdom holds that motivation is the key to habit change maybe if you really wanted it you'd actually do it but the truth is our real motivation is to be lazy and do what is convenient energy is precious and the brain is wired to conserve it whenever possible it is human nature to follow the law of least effort which states that when deciding between two similar options people will naturally gravitate towards the option that requires the least amount of work so i've got two bike seats one cuts the circulation of my ball sack off and the other is comfortable and has a little pouch for it i'm going to sit on the pouch one i want i want the one that causes the least amount of effort or pain every action requires a certain amount of energy the more energy required the less likely it is to occur and this is that 75 hard uh, thing where like oh man you know just 75 hard fucking days rewire yourself brother and like i don't know man i'm not i'm like not really like even shitting on that because like i'll do crazy fucking plans for 75 days but i also will do like pretty crazy fucking plans for like 15 years so i don't know but but as we're thinking about it though if you want to stack the odds in your favor let's make it easier to hit those odds if your goal is to do 100 push-ups a day that's a fucking shitload of energy maybe the first day you're going to do it the second day you're going to do it the third day you're going to do it and then you're like meh you know like i have a friend who super fit um but doesn't work out and and he texted me he was like hey you know i'm gonna i'm gonna work out every morning now i'm like that's great dude i mean i work out every day but based on past history i don't believe you and now i don't think that that's a flaw of you i think that the benefit of consistency is way more important than like doing it seven days a week especially because you don't even really care about being that jack this is like a nebulous goal to be more healthy so how about you do three days a week just do that and that's why it's crucial to make your habits easy enough that you'll do them even when you don't feel like it if you can make your good habits more convenient you'll be more likely to follow through on them and I think this is this is just the key point that's been reverberating through all of this where you know trying to pump up your motivation to stick with a hard habit is like trying to force water through a bent hose he says you can't but it requires a lot of effort and it increases the tension in your life meanwhile making your habits simple and easy is like removing the bend in the hose rather than trying to overcome the friction in your life you reduce it and so you know like there are times when you have to be on a fucking crazy plan but things suffer you know i'm in i'm in work version of hotel rwanda it is going great you know i am one month and five days away 
from the end of my fucking toil that I began talking about on the goddamn Michael Jordan episode. And I've just been dutifully doing my fucking toil. And so there's times when it's going to be hard, but like I, c- I could not do a really hardcore diet right now and get down to like even 10% body fat right now. Like I'm probably 15 and getting a little bit fatter over time, but not that much. But like, dude, I'm on such a razor thin environment of stress right now that I couldn't do that. And so, you know, what he's saying is like habits are easier to build when they fit into the flow of your life. So if your work is insane, like don't try to do a bodybuilding contest prep diet because you're gonna fucking fail. But maybe you can just clean it up and eat a little healthier and lose 10 pounds. You're more likely to go to the gym if it is on your way to work because stopping doesn't add much to the friction of your lifestyle. When we, re- when we remove the points of friction that sap our time and energy, we can achieve more with less effort. And that's the goal. You know, it's like, you're going to have to be hard, but, but you can be way more successful if you remove bullshit, stupid friction. And obviously we can also all multiply by the opposite. And so if you have a bad habit, you could, instead of making it attractive, you could make it unattractive. You know, let's say that you're uh, addicted to prostitutes. You know, you could hypothetically start volunteering at a um, charity for people who have been sex trafficked. Pretty sure you would be uh, quickly less attracted to the concept of prostitutes when you realize, like, this is what you're supporting. You are horrible. Put the oatmeal cream pies in your gun safe. Takes a real fucking degenerate to walk downstairs to the goddamn gun safe to eat an oatmeal cream pie. Master the decisive moments throughout your day because a habit must be established before it can be improved. So if my friend worked out three days a week, you know, for 30 minutes, three days a week, for six months, he's gonna get a bunch of benefit. And then all of a sudden he built this habit and then now like is doing 40 minutes, four days a week, that different? That's, but that's a lot. That's a bunch of working out. Now let's say he does an hour, four days a week. He's deep in the grind. Like maybe he needs more frequency if he's training for the Olympics, but you could you could do 10 years of gratuitous gains four days a week. How to make good habits inevitable and bad habits impossible. So there was this writer, 1830, he was way behind on his deadline. So he had his assistant put all of his clothes into a chest and all he had was a robe and lacking any suitable clothing to go outdoors he remained in his study and he wrote furiously during the fall and winter of 1830. So that's a that's a uh, just an example that James is bringing up of like, hey, there's ways to structure your environment that you can get things done. You can make good habits inevitable and bad habits impossible. Like this guy, I mean, that's crazy. Like we're not going to all go do that, but it was impossible for this guy to not to go out in public because back in 1830, Everybody's real professional. If you go out in a robe, dude, that's like showing the it's like showing the Pope your butthole. You can't do that. And um, good habits were just inevitable because it's like, well, I have legitimately removed every single other possible excuse. I better just get to it. Sometimes success is less about making good habits easy and more about making bad habits hard. If you find yourself conti- continually struggling to follow through on your plans, then you can take a page from Victor Hugo and make your bad habits more difficult. You know, sign up for the marathon cool. I guess I'm going to have to just force my fucking body to do this. Um, at the end of every week, if I don't hit my metrics, I give my, I buy my wife a fucking present, which is like 50 to $75, like shoes or some shit. And 
there's been one week where and i it was like 30 more minutes of work to get it done but it was like friday afternoon at 3 30 and i was like you know what the wife needs some shoes and i just i didn't do it and i bought her shoes but i was super close but aside from that i've hit that because i've got a a commitment device i've got an accountability bet um because you can take advantage of good intentions before you fall victim to temptations and so you know this is the don't keep a bad food in your house um he shares that when he goes out to eat and he's trying to diet he'll uh tell the waiter hey can you can you um split this portion in half and put one half in the, in a box just at the beginning and then he just eats half but if he were if he were to tell himself like I'm going to eat half of this. Like, bitch, no, you're not. And I'm going to have one drink at my friend's house. Like, fucking, yeah, of course that's going to happen. And then because James is so damn good at analogies, he brings up how um, the first cash register was created in Dayton, Ohio. And this guy was running like a general store. And um, the thing was, though, like back then, everything's cash. And so the cool thing about cash is that like anybody can use it and it's not tied. It's not like a check where it's tied to a person. It's like anybody picks it up, they can use it. But that also means that if I just am walking around in the woods and I pick up some cash, I can go use it. And it also means if I'm walking around in my neighbor's house and I pick up some cash, I can go use it. And so his employees happen to be picking up cash uh, and it was rampant dishonesty. And, you know, it's probably not, it's a little bit here, a little bit there, but like, you know, if, if it's kind of unclear and, and your boss isn't there and, you, you know, you like pocket an extra dollar every third day, but you do that for a year and 20 of your co-workers do that, the whole business probably is not going to be doing as well. And so he invented a, a cash register where once you did the transaction, you put the cash in the cash register and it goes inside and then it locks and so people can't go and get the cash now. And so it it made, because no one's going to, like, maybe people might, but but it's way harder to steal when the process is in front of the customer, in front of everyone, put the cash in the cash register. Once it goes in there, I can't steal it. So rather than trying to change his employees, like, do better, think of your people, like, this isn't what God wants. He just built a fucking cash register, and then it's like, hey, bitch, if you want to work for me, it's impossible for you to steal. Fuck off. When you automate as much of your life as possible, you can spend your effort on the tasks machines cannot do. Each habit that we hand over to the authority of technology frees up time and effort to pour into the next stage of growth. So when you wear a, an Apple watch and it tracks your heart rate and then you just have a heart rate measure all the time, you know your heart rate variability and baseline way better now, okay? But you're not, but imagine the mental effort you'd take if you were trying to track that and write it down on paper, but you automated it. And so you effectively, no extra cost, you're doing it because you made it easy, which is the third law of how to build a good habit. And as we wind this heifer down, we've got one last law of how to form a good habit. And if you flip it around, how to stop a bad habit, and that is to make it satisfying. So if we're trying to build the habit of running, you need to make it satisfying. You know, for me with running, it took me so goddamn long to learn that the way to get good at running is just put in the volume, not even stress yourself. Feel like you're not even doing a hard workout because hard workout actually is not that correlated to success. Whereas 
lots of volume that your body just went through mechanically is. And so I never could stick to running because I was always going so goddamn hard. And like, I mean, if you're getting tortured four days a week, like it's hard to, you got to motivate yourself to get tortured. But if you just say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to jog four days a week. It's amazing. It's easy. And then afterwards you don't feel fucking crushed and you feel like maybe even the runner's high. Maybe you're like, man, I kind of get this runner's high thing because you made it satisfying, which is the fourth law. Oh, and he actually, um, harkens back to our boy, Dr. G from the tech, uh, the checklist manifesto, uh, that experiment in Karachi, Pakistan, where they gave a checklist to these people and said, Hey, wash your hands. And, uh, it was super save the day. Okay. Everybody got way less sick because they taught them how to wash their hands. Dr. G used that to prove checklists are important. You know, do the damn checklist because everybody already did have soap, but they were like half heartedly washing their hands. And, you know, once they got into this thing of like, Hey, I'm at every time in the checklist was like, every time you touch a baby, every time you touch food, whatever, wash your hands. But James takes a different lesson from that. He says, everyone said hand washing was important. So they surveyed him like, are hand washing important? They're like, yeah, but few people made a habit out of it. The problem wasn't knowledge. The problem was consistency. Uh, some fellow says, I see the goal of hand washing promotion, not as behavior change, but as habit adoption. It is a lot easier for people to adopt a product that provides a strong, positive sensory signal. For example, the mint taste of toothpaste than it is to adapt a habit that does not provide sensory feedback. And the long-term effects were even better. They came back six years later to Pakistan and 95% of the households who had been given the, the soap for free and like washed their hands in the study still had a hand washing station. They hadn't been given soap for years, but during the trial, they became so habituated to washing their hands at these certain points that they maintained the practice. It was a powerful example of the fourth and final law of behavior change make it satisfying so think about it, like i've used sensodyne toothpaste and it kind of tastes like paste it tastes like what i'd imagine glue would taste like but actually glue tastes way worse than that um you know you look at glue and you're like damn dude this looks pretty fucking good then you eat it and you're like this is not good at all so it tastes kind of what i think glue would taste like but every time you go and brush your teeth if you're kind of you know using like what you formerly thought would be glue it's not good but then but now you know think brush your teeth with really really minty or cinnamony toothpaste you know you're gonna be me five you know it's gonna be 30 minutes later you're gonna be at work and you're gonna feel the minty in your mouth you're like fuck yeah and that's because you made it satisfying because what is rewarded is repeated what is punished is avoided you learn what to do in the future based on what you were rewarded for doing in the past positive emotions cultivate habits negative emotions destroy them the first three laws of behavior change. Make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy. Increase the odds that a behavior will be, will be performed this time. The fourth law of behavior change, make it satisfying, increases the odds that a behavior will, will be repeated next time. It, it completes the habit loop. So if you're thinking about working out, I would guess the pump is an example of this. You know, there's nothing more satisfying as having a giant pump and parading it around a public gym and just like ha, 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 that's right that's right and then you're like in an old lady's face and she's like what's wrong with you and you're like sorry I, it's the pump i'm gumming and um and then you know you go out in the public like 
like imagine you you know you go to a lunch you're in college you go to a lunch job interview and you've got a massive pump it's just like it's so satisfying and so like how hard is it to stay motivated to something that makes you feel like nietzsche's idea of the ubermensch it's not and imagine you're an antelope though you know you're always thinking about what to eat or where to sleep or oh my god there's probably predators you're focusing on the present and if you go back to the time paradox i think it's what it's called by dr phillips and barbo um you know everybody has different time perspectives but like if you're we're kind of wired to be present oriented okay like what's happening right now what's happening right now but to do a good job in today's society you know it's like what's happening right now well actually what's happening right now is i am fucking suffering for future troy but so how do you how do you how do you burn that thought into your brain because we live in what scientists call a delayed return environment because we can work for years before our actions actually have a payoff you know i was like hey i'm going to grab coffee with 300 people from the indianapolis rotary club well i think that's probably like just going to be good in my life and then turns out i now have this super weird soft skill and i'm like very able to go grab coffee with anybody or be in any sort of inter- you know somewhat formal informal interpersonal situation but like in the moment if you ask me like why am i doing this i'm like well cuz i'm an idiot but now i'm getting the benefit the human brain did not evolve for a life in a delayed return environment <laughs> Why would someone smoke if they know it increases lung cancer? I mean, but that's that's like a 20 year from now Troy problem. Why would someone overeat if they know it increases obesity? Why would someone have unsafe sex if they know it can result in sexually transmitted diseases? With bad habits, the immediate outcome usually feels good, but the ultimate outcome feels bad. With good habits, it's the reverse. The immediate outcome is unenjoyable, but the ultimate outcome feels good. and that is where if you can shift your mindset and you can like Jocko's idea of discipline equals freedom so you know the more you stick to the path like you get that joy of like fuck yeah i'm going to be so successful in the future or you know the hungrier you are the skinnier and more beautiful you'll be because most people spend all day chasing quick hits of satisfaction the road less traveled is the road of delayed gratification If you're willing to wait for the rewards, you'll face less competition and often get a bigger payoff. As the saying goes, the last mile is always the least crowded. In a perfect world, the reward for a good habit is the habit itself. In the real world, good habits tend to feel worthwhile only after they have provided you with something. Early on, it's all sacrifice. And that's where like I think you just need to just realize that sometimes you're just going to get satisfaction from your life. not from how you're feeling in the specific moment but from a like am i on the path and the path is what you've already thought of like this is the system that you're doing this is the hey these are the goals this is what i'm doing like i'm going to practice for hunting because i want to be good at hunting and then during hunting season i'm just going to hunt even if i don't fucking want to cuz there'll be times when you're like yeah i want to sleep but you get up and you're like but but i also want deer meat and i think that's the bulk of it um James is going to talk about a few other hacks, you know, like almost other tools that we can have. Um but but really the principles is understanding changing your identity, understanding how habits happen, what are the four laws, and then he's going to and I'm going to just tiptoe through some of this, but he's going to kind of give us just some some tools, you know, the the metaphorical 9 mm sidearm that we can use as we're trying to be Kusemanos. 
but I'm going to be dismissive. I'm going to be fast. Get this shit done. We'll be out of here. Oh, yeah. How Carol Dweck. So a lot of this is geared towards like, I don't know, maybe I'm an outlier, but I don't, I sometimes, I sometimes suffer from motivation, but generally I'm, my issues, I'm more like I just do too much actions, but, um, how to quickly recover when your habits break down, because this is the thing that is, um, important and interesting and challenging. And it's so like two examples, one back in the day, I used to eat clean. Okay. And so I would go like weeks and weeks and weeks eating clean. And now looking back at that, that's like a pretty fucking good rule of thumb to like get an optimal nutritional intake. And I, when I ate clean, I actually was healthier and less fat than I am right now. But eating clean doesn't really matter. What matters is calories and macros and then getting in a fiber and then, you know, getting like some vegetables and vitamins and shit. And so the, if you think about it like that, well, you can have one Pop-Tart and you can still be peak healthy because overall, like what are your calories like? What are your macros? Did you get enough? And then like, if you have a Pop-Tart, like it's not, Pop-Tart is not going to kill you. But when you're eating clean, the problem is you have one Pop-Tart, you broke the covenant. And so when you break the covenant, well, what do you do? Well, you get fucking wasted and you eat a whole pizza and then you eat Taco Bell in the morning and then you eat White Castle and then you go get, you know, like wasted again because it's Saturday and then you go to Taco Bell again and then like on Sunday you're just guilty and horrible and then you're like, oh, got to get back on it. And then you eat clean for like six more days and then you do that. And that's not the worst diet in the world. Like on average, that's probably okay. But you don't want to be like, hey, oh, you know what? I fucking failed and then I'm just gonna, I guess I'm, I guess I'm off the path when you realize that it's if it fits your macros and it's like macros matter let's say you eat four pop tarts like well okay i'm just gonna like eat a little light for a day or two that's all you need to do and think of think of the the difference in outcome of just like whatever i messed up a little bit but i'll get back on the path so that's the first example second example i already shared a little bit about this but i went to a memorial day party and um, I was supposed to drive back. I went with the wife and it was a, um, I was like, cool. And I didn't quite think about, it. I had an empty stomach. And so I had one white claw because white claws are delicious. I had another white claw and then I had an old fashioned while I was grilling. And so I was also like, Hey, I'm going to go back and, and you know, we got there at one. I'm like, I'm going to drive back at like six 30. So I was like, I'll go hard for an hour. Well, it turns out you can go real fucking hard for an hour and um dude accidentally blacked out i haven't blacked out in like a year but i did on memorial day and i was in my friend's like yard and and i was like shouting obscene things interspersed with comments like it's so fun to hang out and so good to see you and like on average everybody had a lot of fun but dude i was so goddamn hungover the next day and like i stopped drinking at four and i was still hungover at like eight the next night uh, which is so stupid, but I was like, okay, because this is a good example. Like that's a crazy example, but like, I'm trying to stay to on the path and working out and doing this stuff. And so what did I do? How did I recover when my habits broke down so horribly? Well, I, I was thinking of skipping the workout and I actually got up at four 30 on Monday cause it was a, or on Tuesday. Cause I was like, okay, I'm just work out tomorrow. I'll just drink hard and then I'll drink some water and dude, no chance I was going to work out at 4.30. Went back to bed, slept horrible, 
worked out in the evening and did and shot my bows basically like i just was like okay i'm gonna shot i'm gonna just go shoot bows really quickly but then i got back on the path and like in my little notes file i was like good job fucking idiot just do better and you know what i actually didn't really lose any momentum because i just you know hey i'm like you know what i'm just gonna go through the motions and so um you know he he talks about never miss twice like if you mess up don't miss two times in a row but, but for me it's like just have the plan and then give yourself some flexibility if you fuck it up it's like it's not it's not clean eating it's it's flexible dieting you know just you know what hey bad job buddy eat some food next time and uh don't be an idiot you're a grown adult um not you know and and so versus and just just get back on the path versus like cool now I'm on a five day bender and I'm going to have to restart my workout block in a week. You know, Lord Jacko has a saying that he's like, Hey, you know, if I feel like crap or if I really don't want to do it, you know, people get mad about going through the motions, but he's like, I'll just go through the motions because you know what? If you go through, if you, if you really feel like shit and, and you, you take 10 times where you're like, I'll just go through the motions five out of 10 times after you warm up, you actually feel decent. You know, like sometimes on work on Mondays, like dude, Monday at like 8 a.m. I am not feeling super happy about work, but I just start going through the motions. And by like 11, I'm like, okay, whatever, bro. Like this is this is the toil I've accepted. And then by like two in the afternoon, I'm like, boom. Oh yeah, you know what? My arm was tired from beheading people, but I'm back. I got a second wind. So five out of ten times, you're fucking good. Three out of ten, you know, by the end of the workout or whatever you're doing, you're like you know what? Okay. I'm glad I did it. This wasn't the best, but I kept the momentum moving. One out of 10, you're actually sick. Like you're, you're truly getting sick or you're injured or something. And then, you know, one out of 10, you just have a bad day and you just go back to it. But if you don't have that approach, then bitch, you're going to fail. That's what he's saying. So I summarized all of that, but read the damn book. And the last thing that he really talks about um that i'll that i'll call out is just the idea of um he calls them habit contracts but it's an accountability bet it's it's setting up some sort of a structure it's it's going back to tim ferris's um this methodology which the last one being stakes so like if you're trying to develop if you're trying to learn something um a lot of that is doing the practice and doing the habits and so if you're trying to do that, cool, um, what happens when you don't? And so for me, dude, I am shackled into multiple accountability bets. I, I have, I think I've got a bet with my wife. If I don't get a deer this year with a bow or a pistol, I will pay her $400. And now she's my wife. So we're like shared stuff, kind of. I'm not that good at sharing, if you can believe it. But that's a lot of money, man. And you know what that did last year? Killed a deer with a pistol. Um, but you know, just thinking through. So if you're thinking about, okay, I've got a goal. I've got to change my identity. I've got to do all the habits. I've got to structure my environment. Um, you know, maybe you want to think through. Like it's amazing how everything ends up getting done by the deadline. No matter what the deadline is, no matter what, everything gets done by the deadline. Cool. Maybe. You want to think through, are there any ways you can just force, you can shackle your corpse. You can sell your corpse into indentured servitude. And then like, you just have to do it. And I think the the last thing I'll read um, before moving into his, his old conclusion is professionals put in the work. 
uh, he joined the powerlifting team after his face was all fucked up. And uh, he asked one of the coaches, he says, hey, what's the difference between the best athletes and everyone else? What do the really successful people do that most don't? The coach mentioned factors you'd expect, you know, genetic, lux, talent. But then he said something that James wasn't expecting. He says at some point, it comes down to who can handle the boredom of training every day, doing the same lifts with perfect execution over and over and over. His answer surprised me because it's a different way of thinking about work ethic. People talk about getting amped up to work on their goals, myself included, guilty. It all comes down to passion, they say, or you gotta really want it. And as a result, many of us get depressed when we lose focus or motivation because we think that successful people have some bottomless reserve of passion. You know, we so that's a crazy good point because if you think that the way to be successful is you gotta feel this fucking passion all the time like god damn it like i love hunting like there's and i do but there's been dude there's been days where it's like i would if if i would not lose any ability and if it wouldn't mess up my ultimate goal of wanting to be good at hunting i would pay 15 dollars right now to not have to shoot my bow but you know what i do i shoot my bow and so if you think that the way that you become this really successful, passionate, great oh, hunter, like find your bliss is like you have to feel like that all the time. You're doomed to fail because you're like, hey, I really don't feel like it. Cool. Shut the fuck up. Force your corpse. Because this coach was saying that the really successful people have the same lack of motivation as everyone else. The difference is that they still find a way to show up. Professionals stick to the schedule amateurs let it slip professionals know what is important to them and work toward it with purpose amateurs get pulled off course by the urgencies of life yeah ma'am put a note in here i was prepping for this at 6 13 a.m on a friday and honestly did not feel like it 20 minutes before writing that note but the magic thing about forcing your corpse is many times after you get into it it isn't so bad so where are we well there's an ancient Greek parable known as the Sorites Paradox, and my brain is somewhat perverted and unable to read that as not being sororities. So the paradox of the sororities, which talks about the effects one small action can have when repeated enough times. One formulation of the paradox goes as follows. Can one coin make a person rich? No. Well, what about 10 coins? No, they're not rich, but... What if you had another, and another, and another, and another? At some point, you will have to admit that no one can be rich unless one coin can make him so. So the, the, the paradox is like, one little drop of water doesn't do anything to a rock. But there's a certain point where enough drops of water can completely tunnel through the rock. We can say the same thing about atomic habits. Can one tiny change transform your life? It's unlikely you would say so. But what if you made another, and another, and another? At some point, you will have to admit that your life was transformed by one small change. The holy grail of habit change is not a single 1% improvement, but a thousand of them. It's a bunch of atomic habits stacking up, each one a fundamental unit of the overall system. Gradually, though, as you continue to layer small changes on top of one another, the scales of life start to move. Each improvement 
is like adding a grain of sand to the positive side of the scale, slowly tilting things in your favor. Eventually, if you stick with it, you hit a tipping point. Suddenly, it feels easier to stick with good habits. The weight of the system is working for you rather than against you. And as this book draws to a close, I hope the opposite is true. With the four laws of behavior change, you have a set of tools and strategies that you can use to build better systems and shape better habits. Sometimes a habit will be hard to remember and you'll need to make it obvious. Other times you won't feel like starting and you'll need to make it attractive or don't be a pussy. In many cases, you may find that a habit will be too difficult and you'll need to make it easy or don't be a pussy. And sometimes you won't feel like sticking with it and you'll need to make it satisfying or don't be a pussy. The secret of getting results that last is never stop making improvements. It's remarkable what you can build if you just don't stop. It's remarkable the business you can build if you don't stop working. It's remarkable the body you can build if you don't stop training. It's insane the knowledge you can build if you don't stop learning. Small habits don't add up, they compound. That's the power of atomic habits. Tiny changes, remarkable results. Well, holy shit, my praise. What a book. I feel like that 12-year-old kid walking inside the gym, seeing the even medium-jacked 35-year-old dads and feeling that tingle in their gooch. No, no, not the tingle of homosexuality, but the tingle of destiny. Weights lifting. This book was everything I could have hoped for. And I'm just a guy, you know, but these principles resonate with me because in my life, I've gotten super good at a couple things and I'm trying to get good at others. My first love, my first obsession where I actually uncritically like a dog encountered these principles was martial arts. I'll never forget the time I failed testing because I fucked up my jump spin sidekick. I went to my instructor, uh, a different one. You know, the one told me, he's like, hey, I already ordered, I already ordered your belt. I didn't think you were going to fail. And I was like, I'll just cut my dick off now. Sorry. Um, but I went to the other instructor and I'm like, hey, teach me how to do a jump spin sidekick, which is something you learn on, you know, day 20, day 30 uh, of martial arts. But I knew I was missing something. He helped me set up. I realized, oh, I need to set my boards higher and I need to practice. And so I went home. I made a mark on my kicking bag. And for the next six months, I was like, I'm going to do a hundred kicks a night. And I did rep, deposit, rep, deposit, rep, deposit. And I still have a mark on the bag where I kicked it so much. And uh, I also have this technique still burned into my fucking soul. I was fixing our fence and there was this like tree branch that was head height. It was dead. But so I needed to knock it off, but like I couldn't punch it and I couldn't break it off. And I was like, hey, let's see if I still got it. And so boom, jump spin sidekick, kick the fucking tree branch and broke it. And I was like, still got it. And, and so I, I first found these ideas through martial arts. But then I realized, dude, the way is all around us. And I'm applying the way to sales. And the story's ongoing. You know, I started out as a fucking idiot. You know, the only thing I knew was that I had been there before in a different discipline, you know, martial arts versus sales. But I knew the talent code was real and I had the resolve to die before I failed. And so I existed in the reality of my idiocy 
but called out to the ether. Dude, I listened to sales tapes. I drank rum on the fucking floor with a back injury. More sales tapes, another book. More sales, ask for advice, fail, darkness, nothing. But just like sitting there in pitch darkness on a deer hunt, you look around and nothing's noticeably different. You still can't see. The stars still twinkle above your head, slightly erect. You wonder if you should masturbate, you decide not to. The wind quietly whistles in the trees, but you just feel like the world is waking up. A bit longer goes by, still sitting still, and you realize you can barely see the outline of things now. More time passes, your brain hardly even realizes anything is happening. But then the first birds start waking up. Two squirrels start chasing each other around and then fucking the tree right next to your head, but you're quiet, you don't move. The time approaches. You know that as soon as you can see your sight, it's on. Light starts to surround you. Though the world is still in grayscale, you glance at your watch. 15 minutes to legal shooting light. You're in. More time passes. It's dawn. Light. You can see. Your breath fogs and your pulse quickens. Not with sexual desire, but with anticipation. You're in the fucking game. And that's how learning things works. Days and months and years of fucking darkness. Imperceptible changes in the environment. Maybe you're doing the right thing. You're not sure. But then tiny little rays of light coming in. Ah, you're on the right path. More time. More deposits. More practice. All you want to do in life is know how to fucking make sales. You gave up on getting rich quick schemes years ago and accepted your toil in life. Then, almost like a blink, you look around and it's legal shooting light. You're hitting your goals. You know how to sell. You aren't fucking horrible at sales anymore. And then you get to the point you couldn't even imagine not knowing this. Everybody else is clearly an idiot, and you're a god. But in reality, like a great cathedral, you built this shit brick by brick. And that is what this book outlined for us. The blueprint, the operating system, the tactical method for setting up your habits to become, dare I say, rich, jacked, and gods among men. And so, my priests, run, hunt, into the night. You know your charge, scalps. You know your goal, more scalps. Hundreds more to add to your ever-growing coat of scalps until it drags for miles and miles. And everyone you meet bows down and recognizes that you are the holiest thing a man could ever be. Akuzemono. The end. And that, my pretties, is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, The Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end.